Good day, all. Welcome to a new episode of Learning Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to teach you Bible truth, help you grow in faith, and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Now, I want you to remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on, get your Bibles, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good day, all. I want to first thank each and every one of you for tuning in today, especially my new listeners. I receive new listeners every week, and I welcome you today. Now, this message is about the covenant of marriage and is it okay for Christians to divorce? I typically receive emails regarding questions about marriage and and, um, questions about divorce. And I want to share with you today that I spoke at two different churches today. And if I have a podcast on the same day, I usually share the same message and it at an event that I speak at. And so I shared this message at the event today at two different churches. And I want to share a disclaimer, a little small disclaimer. If you are not a Christian, this message is not for you. If you are in a same-sex marriage, this message is not for you. I counsel Christian couples. I share biblical counseling because I am a certified counselor. I have a doctorate in theology and I have a master's in divinity. In my master's and doctorate, I received a certification to counsel. So I am a biblical counselor. So if you are not a Christian, this message is not for you. However, it is never too late for you to accept Christ. So with that said, I want to start this message. It's not going to be too long, maybe about 40 minutes long. I'm not sure. But when a couple enters into union through the marriage covenant, they enter into the closest and and the tenderest union possible between a man and a woman. This covenant is founded on mutual affection, devotion, and commitment. Now, for believers, it is a union in the Lord, you know, initiated by him as a provision for the happiness and welfare of all mankind. And within the marital order, God has placed the man as the head of the household, not the God of the house, okay? but the caretaker, the provider and protector of his wife and family, just as Jesus is the provider and protector of the church. Now, this is why the word of God says to the husbands in Ephesians 5:25. And before I start reading scripture, I want to share with those of you who don't know, unless I indicate otherwise, I read from the New King James Bible. So this entire message Throughout this entire message, I will be using the New King James Bible, okay? But if you are using another version, that's fine because in the end, we will be in the same place. So go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. You can pause the tape, but for the sake of time, I'm going to move forward. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And to wives, it states in Ephesians 5, 24, 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Their own husbands. Okay. Now I want you to notice that these instructions for husbands and wives are patterned after Jesus's relationship with the church. Now, some men have used Ephesians 5, 22 and 24 to dominate their wives. Now, some of these men may have even dealt with their housekeepers better than they have acted toward their own wives. Now, for a man to know how to behave toward his wife, he needs to examine how Jesus treats the church. Now, I have never heard uh, or seen or read any scriptures of Jesus being abusive to the church. A Christian husband should never be verbally abusive to his wife, nor put his hands on her. Now, when a husband strikes his Christian wife, he is striking Jesus. And I want y'all to get this. Okay. Now, I may step on some toes here, but those of you who know me already know I don't bite my tongue. Not when it comes to the word of God. I do not bite my tongue. Now, if you want things in your relationship, in your marriage to change, you have to be willing to listen and you have to be willing to receive. Okay. Now, not only, you know, that, but not treating your wife properly will hinder a man's prayers for, uh, from being answered. And you can look at first Peter three and seven as it relates to that. It also means that the man is not discerning the body of Christ rightly. And not discerning the Lord's body is an open door for sickness, disease, and premature death. And you can read that in 1 Corinthians 11, 29, and 30. And as I go through this message, I want you guys to write down these scriptures so that you can meditate on them, okay? Now, if the husband is taking his place in the home as Jesus takes his place in the church, the wife need not be concerned about submitting to him. Now, Jesus does not take unfair advantage of the church. He does not abuse or misuse the church. In fact, he is always doing something good for the church. He is always going to, you know, or going the extra mile or going to the extreme to benefit the church. Now, Paul says in the, in the, uh, the latter part of Ephesians 5.25 that husbands are to love their wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, love is a giving of uh, oneself to another. Now, in this context, it is the husband giving himself to his wife and for, his, and for his wife, because that is exactly what Jesus did for the church. Now, if a person is a giver, there will be a time when that person is going to receive but giving should never be based on receiving. Giving should be a motive of the heart. Now, some Christian men are not giving anything to their wives. They give no time, no love, no, res no respect. They treat their wives like machines that are, that are there for their own gratification and convenience. Just someone to provide sex 
you know, wash, wash their dirty clothes or clean the house and take care of the children and, and fix meals. Now, there is no real esteem shown toward their wives. None. Nor do they make any effort to communicate with them. They will even talk to the Lord, but not to their spouses. And that is so sad. And uh, like I mentioned before, just in case I haven't, I counsel couples and it is so depressing. I will take to my grave some of the things that's being shared with me. But I'm here to tell you, if you are not willing to open up and receive God's word, don't don't tell nobody you are a Christian. OK, just don't do it now. Some of the counseling has helped some of these couples. They have stayed together. We do follow-ups. The marriage is doing wonderful. And some have divorced. And rightfully so. Now, men particularly need to understand that communication is a two-way street. It means listening to what your wife has to say or think. It does not mean coming home, giving her a blow-by-blow description of your day, then picking up the paper or or turning on the TV when she starts to tell you about her day. It's a two-way street. Now, husbands who do not effectively communicate with their wives do not usually receive revelation knowledge from them. Now, God can give a person wisdom from, from anyone or anything. Okay? He, he can choose whomever he want to choose to communicate wisdom to other people. Now, if a husband continuously refuses to receive spiritual revelation from his wife, I believe he is asking for trouble. Yes, he is definitely asking for trouble. Now, let's look at first Peter chapter three, verses one through eight. First reader, I'm sorry, first Peter chapter three, verses one through eight. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in, in former times, the holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. Now, I want you to notice in the seventh verse, it says, as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. This verse is addressed to both Christian men and women. Now, many people think Peter is talking about a Christian woman and an unsaved man, but that is not the case here. Although verse one tells how a Christian woman who is married to an unsaved man can win her husband over to the Lord. Now, according to these, these verses, husbands are to honor their wives, 
even though they are considered the weaker vessel as being heirs together of grace of life. God's supreme plan for the marriage covenant is that the husband and wife be one flesh and heirs together of his grace. When a husband realizes this fact and accepts God's plan, his prayers will not be hindered. He will have free access to God and his union with his wife will be the kind of union that God wants it to be. I said what God wants it to be. Okay. Now the Bible clearly emphasizes that the husband is to be the head of the family. If he is not, the wife should help him to become the head. Her helping him will make her life better and, and what it ought to be. Now I want to make sure we understand what God is talking about here. He is not saying that the, the wife should be a slave to her husband. He is saying that the husband should be the head of the, of the wife or the house as the provider and the protector, because the Bible also says those who uh, men who do not take care of their families are worse than an infidel. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. Now, infidels are unbelievers. And what is so bad about being an unbeliever? They're going to hell. Now the Bible says a man who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. So <laughs> let me tell you something for you men who are not providing for your families. You have the, you have an opportunity to get back on track. You have an opportunity to rise above and become the man that God wants you to be. If you are professing to be a Christian, your wife should not be taking care of you. Okay. Now let's go to first Corinthians chapter seven verses three through four. Let the husband render to his wife, the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now I want to make this very clear. This is not talking about rape because God does not support a sanction, a crime to be committed between spouses. So the man doesn't have a right to rape his wife and the wife doesn't have the right to rape or force her husband to have sex with her because that's why these scriptures have to be rightly divided because he, you have to remember back in the ancient day and they spoke Greek, they spoke differently than we do. Their dialect was different than ours. So sometimes the way it come across is that if you, let me read this again, let the husband render to his wife, the affections do her. And, and likewise, also the wife to her husband, the wife does not have authority over her own body. That is not, this is not talking about rape. Okay. Because some men, you guys don't have a clue. Some men use this scripture as being authorized or giving them authorization to rape their wives. God never said you can commit a crime against your wife. Mm -mm. God is a God of peace and gentleness. And when did Christ rape the church? Hmm. Now you can sit on that for a while. When, when did Christ rape the church? Now the relationship between a husband and wife is not 50, 50. It is a hundred, hundred. Okay. Uh, both have to give a hundred percent on each side. Now they are both supposed to, uh, to relate equally to one another. Now, a very important part of a husband and wife's, uh, maintaining an equal relationship is stated in first Corinthians seven and five. And I am reading, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time 
that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, deprive in this context simply means you should not withhold your body from your husband or wife sexually. It goes both ways. Now, too often husbands and wives deprive one another as a means of retaliation. I know women that do it and you are wrong. I'm talking about Christian women. You should not use sex to to, as retaliation against your husband because he did something you didn't want him to do or he said something you didn't like. You want to deprive him of sex. Well, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. He can't take it from you, but the Bible says you shouldn't do it. Okay. Now, some wives do not want to be bothered. So they stay in the kitchen half the night, you know, fooling around with the things and and in the kitchen and and hoping their husbands will have, have fallen asleep by the time she. Now, for the sake of editing, I want to repeat the last sentence that I just made. Neither of these situations are right. Okay, if you are using sex as a tool of retaliation toward your spouse out of anger, it's not right. It's not right. Now, as far as I can tell from these scriptures that I just shared with you, the only legitimate reason a husband or a wife has for denying his or her body to one another would be if he or she wants to go into a period of fasting and prayer. Now, in this case, they are not supposed to defraud one another unless they both consent and then only for a time to avoid Satan's temptations to marital infidelity. See, when you deprive one another of sex, that temptation is there and you open the door for Satan to come in and bring in someone else who is willing to have sex with your spouse. Now, this does not give you the right to commit adultery. And you need to understand this. God will never ever sanction adultery. So if you choose to do it, it's because you are drawn away by the lust of your, your own flesh. Okay. By, by the, by the lust of your own flesh. Now, making sure you do not unduly deprive your spouse is an, in another area where communication is essential. Now, if you do not know how to talk to one another, how are you going to be able to get into consent? How are you going to agree together to fast and pray if you are not communicating? Now, if you and your spouse are having a challenge with maintaining a smooth relationship in your marriage, then you need to start effectively communicating with one another. Communication is the key. You need to be open and honest. You need to start talking about whatever concerns you, including your sexual intimacy, particularly if there's a problem there. The sexual union is even better when a couple communicates well. Another factor that can enhance a husband and wife's sexual intimacy is when they are both filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-huh. Pick your job off the floor. Because then there exists a greater capacity to appreciate the physical body as being the temple of God. The Heavenly Father does not view the believer's body as some little shanty with a tin roof down by the riverside or as an an outhouse. He reviews it as a beautiful and holy place. 
In the covenant of marriage, he also views the body as belonging to the spouse. Okay? God has so united matrimony with human life that man's deepest interest involves around this institution. Now, when a man and woman have chosen each other and come to that moment when they sincerely and publicly join in marriage in, in a marriage covenant, they lay down on the altar a holy sacrifice to God, to each other, and to humanity. Now, as they follow the Father's divine order, they find true and lasting happiness as they love, honor, and cherish one another as the Lord. Now, I want to make sure this is clear as well. You should never be unequally yoked with a non-believer. A Christian should not be marrying a Muslim. Okay? A Christian should not be marrying a Catholic. And let me explain to you why. Because when you are unequally yoked with an unbeliever, because let me make this clear, Jesus is Lord. He is the truth and the way. He is the truth, the way, and the life. And no man can come into the Father except by him. And for us not to believe that is to call Jesus a liar. And I know you're not willing to do that. But Muslims don't believe Jesus is Lord. So how are you going to be married to a Muslim who has a different outlook on life? Who believe women are beneath men? Who believe women should not be walking aside alongside of men? They believe women should be behind men. Now, Jesus said that we are all one in Christ. So your communication will definitely not be in agreement if you marry someone that does not believe in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, <laughs> I need to make that clear. Now, let's talk a little bit about divorce, how you can prevent it and when you should file for divorce. Okay. Only you can decide. Now, if you are married, you know, a spirit filled Christian and, and contemplating divorce, you need to pray about it first and be led by the Holy Spirit as to what is best for you. Be very sure about your decision be before taking this course of action. You, you, you have to be very sure, saints. Now, before taking this step, make sure you sit down and discuss this matter with your spouse. Divorce is a life-changing situation. Sometimes hasty, you know, decisions are made to dissolve a marriage when in fact the circumstances could have been resolved just through communication. Now, there is a rash of divorces among Christians at the highest levels I have ever seen. And these divorces seem to be opening Pandora's box, so to speak. That is making it easy for other Christians to believe it's okay to get a divorce. They are saying things like, and I hear them saying it. Well, if so-and-so can get a divorce and, and he or she is a preacher, then I know it's not wrong for me to get a divorce. Now, think about that. I want y'all to think about that for a second. That kind of thinking is crazy. Just because marriage did not work for one person does not mean it cannot work for you. So stop looking at other people, no matter who they are, and keep your eyes on the word of God. And this is where we, a lot of Christian couples are falling short. Because they want to bring God down to their experiences instead of bringing themselves up to the word of God. 
God will never come down to your little experience. You have to go up to his. I, and I see and, and hear a lot of people saying, well, I know if it was meant, if God meant for us to stay together, we would have. No, that's not true. Because it is God's intention for you to stay together. The problem is you're not following his word. Free will is something else. Free will is something else. Now you need to keep your eyes on the covenant that you and your spouse made between each other and God. That's what you need to focus on. Now I believe that God's ideal is that you get married and stay married to that one person all of your life. Which is why you have to be careful before you say I do. Mm -hmm. But you cannot be intelligently married to someone if you do not know all the facts about marriage. Now, if you had properly assessed your potential partner and the situations in your relationship prior to marriage, you probably would not even need to be considering a divorce. Now, of course, many people do change during the course of marriage. Some change for the better and others for the worse. Now, lots of things can arise that you really could, could not foresee in the beginning, such as physical and emotional abuse, drug and alcohol abuse, and infidelity. Now, but are you obligated to, to spend your life in misery? That's the question I'm often asked. You know, with a monster who, who beats and abuses you and your children. Now, in cases like this, I say divorce the monster. Okay, but that is a decision that you and only you can make. Situations of such severe abuse could mean your death or the death of your children. And that is not God's will for you. God didn't kill the church. He died for the church. And remember, you should never be unequally yoked to a non-believer. If you are a Christian and your husband don't believe in nothing, let me tell you something. If the devil get in him. <laughs> because it doesn't necessarily mean that Satan is in an individual who doesn't have Christ. But I can tell you this, if you, and this can go for a male or female, if you are a Christian and Christ is in you, chances are Satan going to get at that spouse to try to get to you. And the devil comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life. So if for the safety of yourself and your children, I'll, I will advise any woman that is in an abusive relationship and your children are being abused, you need to get out of that marriage. Yeah, you, you need to make a decision to live because God didn't put man over woman to, to determine when she dies. Okay, you're dealing with the devil when it comes to that. Yeah, that's the devil treating you like that because Christ treated the church like precious gold. Oh, yes. Oh, he did. He died for the church. That is the ultimate. When you die for the church, that is how much he loved us. He loves us. That's how much he loved the church. He died for the church. Now, situations such as severe abuse could mean your death. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And I do not believe God wants you to be miserable and unhappy and endangered all your life. That's not the will of God. OK, so you those of you who are in an abusive relationship, you can't change your spouse, be it male or female. You can't change individuals. Only Jesus can. 
Now, if you can't get that person to Christ, you need to get to safety. Okay, because they have some abuse uh, abusers who have given themselves to Christ and they they have been cleansed from that behavior. But you yourself can't change anybody. How many of you know the females who say, oh, oh I can change him. And next thing you know, you see them with an eye uh, the size of a, of a baseball. He didn't beat the crap out of her. And then she going home and get beat some more. And she equates that with love. Well, I'm here to tell you love doesn't hurt. And you would never hurt anything you love. You have to hate someone to, to hurt them. And a lot of people get it twisted because the world's way say, oh, he love you. That's why he's beating you. No, he doesn't. God says that you have to treat people that you love with kindness, with patience, with joy, with long suffering. You put, that's what, what love is. You can put up with some things and, and you have to be patient with them and, 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 and you love them. You would do anything for them. Honey, if you are quick to hurt someone, you hate them. Yeah, you hate them. Uh, the problem with some of these people in marriage, they don't know the difference between love and marriage because of the environment that they grew up in. You grew up in a, a violent environment where you saw your father abuse your mother and you think that's love. No, it's not. Guess what? If it's love, you need to start choosing hate. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be funny. If, if you think that's love, you need to start choosing hate and just get on out and look for hate. Because love does not hurt and love does not abuse. And the husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And Christ never abused the church. Never. Okay, now go to Matthew chapter 19, verse six, and it says this. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, many people are confused by this scripture, including many in the pulpit. Now, as a result, there are folks living in bondage to their rigid church doctrine about the stigma of divorce. Meanwhile, they live, live a life of, of torment, tears, and danger. Now, in many of these kinds of situations, God did not have anything to do with putting the persons together. That's very important as well. God didn't put you with that monster. Uh-uh. The people put themselves together. And that is why some people are suffering, living with somebody who has never grown up, never change, never will change, or stand evil until he or she is in his 80s or until they die. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know people who have never experienced love before. I'm talking pure love. Someone who would do anything for them. Hold the door open for them to get in the car. Open the door for them to get out of the car. Hold the door for them to go into the restaurant. Pull the chair out for them to sit down. You know, hold the door open and, and, and then they look out first to make sure their wife is not walking out into danger. Things as simple as that, never experience that. They have to go bring the car to be washed. They have to bring the car to the mechanic if something wrong. The husband will tell them, you bring it, you ain't doing nothing. I, I mean, women who have not experienced the love of Christ. And one of the reasons is they married someone who is not a believer. 
They married someone who is not a believer. Well, I'm here to tell you today there is life after divorce. God doesn't want you to be miserable. Mm-mm, not at all. In many of these kinds of situations, God, I want to say this again, God did not put these people together. He didn't. And I want to tell you, it is not God's intention for a man and woman to enter into a covenant and then they decide to divorce. Now, when Jesus mentions, let not man separate, he is talking about the institution of marriage. Now, if you, if you read that wrongly, it seems as though God will put people together against their will, but God does not violate our will. That's another thing. Keep people keep forgetting. Excuse me. We have free will. God doesn't violate our will. He ain't going to stop you from doing it. So stop associating God with the bad mistakes you're making. Oh, I think God brought, brought me down this road to teach me a lesson. No, he told you in his word not to do it. So you chose to do it. So what lesson is he teaching you if he told you not to do it, but you did it anyway? To not be unequally yoked with a non-believer, but you did it anyway. And now you have a neck brace on. So what is God teaching you? No, you opened up the door and let the devil in. That's what you did. We have to, let me tell you something, people. We have to make a decision. Either we're going to follow God's word or we're going to follow our own. You can't mix the two. I learned a long time ago that it is best to do, be a doer of God's word rather than just a hearer. Just listening to his word ain't going to do it. You have to, you have to be a doer of the word. So if God says, don't be unequally yoked with a non-believer, don't do it. If the Bible says that God is a God of peace and then your life is full of chaos, you need to remove yourself from the chaos. God is not teaching you anything. It's your will thinking that you can change someone. Yeah, you men, you can't change your wife and wives. You can't change your husband. You need to enter into an agreement before you say I do. Uh-huh. Now go to 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, God hates divorce. I'm just going to say that plainly. But he also does not want you hurting. Do not get into bondage if you are already divorced or if you are already contemplating divorce from a situation that you find life threatening and full of misery. Whether you are divorced or not has nothing to do with your salvation. Let's keep that clear. It has nothing to do with your salvation. You ain't saved based on whether or not you married or not. Mm -mm. It is something that only you, your spouse and the Lord really know all about. Now, if you have actually made a decision to get a divorce, then there is not much anybody can say to stop you anyway. When your relationship gets to, to, to that point, obviously you believe you have already exhausted all the reconcilable areas of, of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Once you reach the point of, I'm, I'm going to get a divorce, can't nobody talk you out of that. A man persuaded against his will is of the same opinion still. So I don't even try to persuade people that come to me saying, well, I'm ready for a divorce. And I'm like, well, what you in here for? If you're ready for a divorce, go get a divorce. I don't do divorces. You have to go down to the courthouse. Yeah. So I don't deal with the foolishness. You either going to follow God's word or you, or, or, or you're not going to. 
Now, the reason you split up is, is that you cannot live together. That's the reason people split or you won't live or you won't live together. So the natural sequence is to officially break it off. Now, if you have chosen this course of action and, and you have children, you have so many things to take into consideration. Who is going to get the kids, the property, etc.? The reason people come to the point of divorce is because they don't get along. Now, you know, they're at odds all the time, which means they are in disagreement about some issues. It could be a thousand things, but for many of these areas of disagreement, if they had been settled prior to marriage, there would have been no reason for divorce today. Like there are some men and women who don't want children, but they discover that fact after they get married. Don't you think you should have discussed that before you said I do? Whether or not you want to have kids, that's a huge decision. Yeah. And then they end up splitting because the husband want kids, but the wife don't. Or the wife want kids and the husband don't. But you should have discussed that before y'all said I do. Some of this, look, some of this stuff is just common sense. Now, most issues of divorce and marriage are tied into uh, areas of communication, honesty, sex, and money. Now, if the husband and wife are not communicating, they are not going to be able to get into an agreement. Now, some people live or believe they should stay together for the sake of the children. Don't you ever do that. But because that is crazy. And it's ridiculous. Now, suppose both of you had a heart attack and dropped dead. What's going to happen to the kids? They're going to survive. They still have their lives to live. If you are not happy, the kids are not happy. Because we have to give kids more credit, people. Mm -mm, kids, they're like sponges. They pick, you know, they be in the back room while mom and daddy, kids go in the room for a second and y'all think y'all discussing some issues, having a heat, heated argument and the kids in the back time out. You heard what daddy called mama? Oh, ooh, you heard what mama said to daddy about that other woman? No, the ki give the kids more credit than that. You're going to have to leave the house or wait till the kids are knocked out before y'all have that heated discussion or wait till the kids go to school. But in any event, if you guys are having serious issues in the marriage, the kids will pick up on it. And I, I tell you, if you decide to divorce, divorce. Just make sure that the kids are able to spend equal time with each of you. And I want you guys to think about happiness. Of course, is based upon getting into agreement. You have to discuss areas of disagreement. Now, I believe if you do that in the beginning, you will never get to the point of divorce. Never. Now, when negative situations begin to happen in a marriage, there might not be a lot you can do. For example, in the case where lies have been told, there is no way you would know someone is lying unless the Holy Spirit reveals it, it to you some way or, or some other way you find out that your spouse has lied to you. All you can go by is what the other person is saying. Now, in the natural, marrying someone is a gamble. I know that sounds crazy, but it is. You have to learn to trust. Now, I can remember counseling someone who did not trust her husband. I don't care what he said. 
I don't care what he do. He can do everything right. But because she was in a bad relationship previously, she brought, she bought that, she brought that baggage into this marriage. Now the previous relationship was not a marriage. It was a relationship, but that person had cheated on her uh, several times. And so she didn't trust anybody. So I said, well, if you weren't going to trust him without reason, why did you marry him? And she couldn't answer that question. And I said, you know what? Each, uh, I would say each relationship is different and you have to trust people until they give you a reason not to, but you have to enter into a relationship with an agreement. This is what we both agree to do. And if we disagree on something, you have to agree to disagree about that situation. That's what you need to do. But I believe that in the realm of spiritual values, if we deal honestly with those spiritual aspects first, the rest of it is automatic. In other words, if you put God first, because that is what is missing from these relationships, your marriage can work no matter what the two of you come up against. Your marriage is going to work if you put God first, but you can't put God first. If you are married to a non-believer, you have to believe and come into agreement on the same thing. Now, many people in, in the Christian circles say there is an attack on Christian marriages. And I don't know if that is it. it, it I don't know if that is an accurate statement. Now, if I was married and my husband and I agreed on the basic life uh, considerations, how can we be attacked? The only way that that could happen is if there is some division or a break in the relationship already. When people say there is an attack on the family, they are giving Satan a lot of credit he doesn't deserve. Satan is not the one who, who determines whether a Christian marriage and family stay together or not. He's not. He doesn't have that type of power over us unless we give it to him. Now, let me give you an example. If I sat down and ate a full course meal and, and ate so much, I was about to burst and someone walked through the door with a, a large pizza, a meat lovers pizza, pizza, which I love, just loaded with meat. That would be no temptation for me. You know why? Because I'm full. You couldn't attack me with that, that pizza because I already ate. I'm so full. I don't, I don't even want it. You can't tempt me with it. So where I could be attacked with food is if I'm starving and I haven't had anything to eat in seven days. Now you can attack me and anything you bring in here to eat is going to be a possible temptation for me because I'm hungry. I'm not full. My stomach is empty. Now, the point is, Satan cannot attack you unless there is something to attack. Now, something has to already be going wrong in your relationship for Satan to come in and attack it. Even so, he's not attacking you as much as he is just assisting you in self-destruction. Now, we are really the ones who destroy the relationship. If Satan could destroy it, what's the point in following the word? Huh? Why do we need to be filled with the spirit? Where is God in all of this? If the devil can just, just jump in and rip our marriages apart. What, what, where is God in all of it? Now, all the devil can do is tempt us, but he cannot tempt us unless we are already at a point of dissatisfaction and disagreement.
Now, if our relationship is good, there is nothing he can do to break it up. No, absolutely nothing. Now, when Christian divorces are publicized all over the media, the only thing Satan is doing is taking advantage of something we are already doing. Now, the Christian community sometimes repeats little catchphrases, phrases that are, are, are not necessarily true statements. And this statement about there being a recent attack on the Christian family is one of those little phrases. The truth is that Satan has been attacking the Christian family since the Garden of Eden. <laughs> and y'all know that story. I don't think he has ever let up on the attacks throughout history. Hmm. I don't think so. But his so-called attacks have nothing to do with whether you and your spouse stay together. Okay. Now, what I am saying is that all Satan does is take advantage of an already bad situation. He's always alert to our weaknesses or our unwillingness to do, do it God's way. Because let me tell you something. Satan know the word. He doesn't know the revelation of God's word, but he know the word. Oh, yes. He knows the word. So he know if you are in the will of God or not. He knows by what comes out of your mouth and he knows by what is manifesting through your physical actions. He know. He be like, oh, well, I can get this one here. She ain't doing nothing God says. Oh, I can attack them. He, oh, he don't know the word of God. Listen to what just came out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. That's the only way Satan can get us people. Now the devil cannot destroy us without our cooperation. And we need to understand that we are really destroying ourselves. All Satan is doing is assisting us and seeing to it that whatever we are involved in because, uh, becomes a, a just a big old hot mess. By the time he is through with his meddling, our situation is, is, is just beyond repair. Now he is an agitator. That is what Satan is. However, his agitation cannot mess us up if we have a relationship based upon a solid foundation. Now, when two people are fighting and, and butting against each other in, in marriage, if you look closely, you will see that it is really selfishness on the part of one or both of the parties involved. Now, at an intersection, if both cars decide they are going through the intersection at the same time, there will be a wreck. Ain't no if, ands, and but, but about it. Every time there's an accident, that's the reason it's called an accident, somebody didn't yield. Now, somebody has to yield. Now, in a marriage, the reason for the, the couple, uh, a reason, well, the reason for a lot of couples, um, uh, marriage is falling apart is because neither one wants to yield. Both spouses are determined to have the right of way. Mm -hmm. There's always a lot of confusion when selfish people do not yield. Now, if I refuse to yield and you refuse to yield, nothing will work. You hear me? Absolutely nothing will work. This is an act of our wills. Now, I do not care how much word you know, if you do not and are not willing to apply the word, the word by itself is not going to change the situation. The Holy Spirit cannot change things if you are not willing to allow it to. Now, but we had we had a purpose. You have to have a purpose bigger than your own selfish purpose. 
And that was, uh, is, is to please Jesus to the fullest extent. That is what the purpose is supposed to be. Now you both should be devoted and committed to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Both of you should be devoted and committed to Jesus. I remember counseling someone and all the female wanted to do. It's a married couple. I wasn't counseling him, just her. She asked for counseling. All she wanted to do is tell me how right she was and how wrong he is. Everything he did was wrong, but she would not take ownership of her behavior. And when you run into a situation like this, somebody has to yield. You have to take ownership of your behavior. It's never one person. Never. It's always both. Both parties are involved when the marriage is failing. You have to take ownership of your behavior. And it is as simple as that. Now, in other words, Jesus has to be first. If you are a Christian, Jesus has to be first. And you need to allow the husband to be the head of the house. He needs to be the provider and he needs to be the protector. Now, I'm not saying if the wife makes more money than the husband and the husband doesn't know how to manage finances to let him manage the money. No, the person who, who manages money the best should be managing the money. And paying the bills. If you got a wife who's going to take the check and then run on to the casino and blow the entire, you know, rent money or mortgage money, she shouldn't be managing the money and vice versa. If you got a husband who likes to go out and gamble, he shouldn't be managing the money. The person who's going to pay the bills on time should be managing the money. Now, with most couples, you know, they always want to put either she says she's going to be first, the first one, or, or he's going to be the first one. It's going to be all about him. It's going to be all about her. And nobody is including Jesus. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And you know what the end result is going to be? A split, a divorce. But because of our desire to please the Lord and let him be first in our lives and knowing that divorce is certainly not the will of God, we stay together sometimes. Mm -hmm. By our staying together, we gave our relationship time to mature. Maturity develops over time and we need to know that. Now, although you may have, you know, good potential for maturity, it will never develop if you do not allow enough time for it to do so. Now, some people have time, but never get the word. So they end up being miserable their whole married lives. Oh, yes. And it's so sad. It, it really is. But once we go ahead of the word and discover the reality of the word and begin giving the word first place in our lives, the word and faith change things. And you won't know if the word is going to work and change things if you don't allow it in. You have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. You have to deny your will and allow God's will for a man and a woman, the married couple to take precedence in your lives. You have to. Now, through what I did uh, with the word, I was able to change, you know, myself. God's word works, people. It does. God's word 
actually works, but you have to allow it in. See, the problem is a lot of y'all are following the ways of the world. Mm -hmm. You are following the ways of the world. Now the world world says, you know, equality for everyone. Well, that may be true because in Christ, we are one in Christ, but God still has an order in the household. The male figure is um, actually naturally stronger than a female. The male is the provider. He is the protector of the house. And us women need to allow that. We need to allow the man to be the man of the house. But you need to make decisions together if it's going to affect the entire family. The husband and the wife should sit down together and come to an agreement what is best for the entire family. Now, if you are willing, you can turn things around in your marriage by applying the word of God. That divorce you are contemplating just might not be necessary as you think. Think about it. Only you can make this very important decision. Only you. You and your husband. Now, I want to stop here, but as I finished uh, those two um, messages I just shared, I was thinking about, and God was putting it in my head that I should have done a short message on before I say I do. See, that's what happens with ministers, you know, sermons just pop up in their heads. You know, the revelation of a lot of things just pop up in their heads. So what I'm going to do next Saturday, I'm going to write down the notes and the scriptures that I want to share about what should you do when you are dating someone, how to choose the correct mate. So you won't make the mistake and say, I do to someone you should have said, no way, get out of here. Now, I want you to stand by for an invitation to accept Christ and my closing remarks. To everyone who hears this message, including those who profess to having accepted Christ, but don't possess his spirit. And to the non-believers who are chasing religion looking for God, tomorrow is not promised to you. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. There is no other way to get to God outside of Christ. There is no back door. I want you to read John chapter 14 verses one through six. All you have to do to secure your salvation in Christ is to say this simple prayer one time and mean it. Father God, I am a sinner in need of salvation. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And because I confessed and believe this in my heart, God, your word says I'm saved. Amen. If you said this simple prayer, my friends, you have just been saved by grace. Yes, it's just that simple. If you were sincere, you should feel a change in your heart right now. You now have free access to God. You are a saint, a believer, and most importantly, a child of the Most High God. I encourage you to join a faith-based teaching church. Continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth so you can grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Renew your mind with the Word of God 
so you can establish a relationship with him. God wants you to enjoy life, laugh, love, forgive, and treat everyone you encounter with compassion, dignity, and respect. Now stand by for my closing remarks. pray that you were blessed by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, please send your comments or questions to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. And if you would like to support this podcast financially, because you feel we have been a blessing to you, go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, or Radio Public, and contribute an amount of your choice. Now until next time, Remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.